Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Joy. And welcome back to another episode. Hey, Jewel. I am. I am so irrationally happy for Kim. I feel like a proud mother. <laughs> I know. And it's so funny because our DMs, that's what everybody is saying. And I think she was just so open about the fact that she had failed it three times and she was very doubted. So I think on top of just being excited for her, it also feels validating for all the people that thought she would never do it. Isn't it so funny that you feel genuinely validated by Kim Kardashian passing the baby bar? <laughs> yes. But to be honest with you, it's not so different than the way that I feel about some of her other accomplishments where I constantly view them as like points of ammunition in my conversations with people, you know, like how many times do you come across a person who just thinks she's a total idiot and is going to spew all this bullshit to you about why she kind of deserves none of this fame. And you want to come at them with like a well-rounded argument. I feel like now this is another thing in my toolkit. (laughs) I know, by the way, a well-rounded argument. I could literally write a thesis. I have written a thesis that I did my college final presentation on. Like, (laughs) okay. Anything else you want to mention or shall we begin? No, let's get into the episode. So we're going to start out with a discussion on the Sex and the City reboot, but I first just want to say full spoiler alert. If you have not watched the first two episodes of, and just like that, fast forward through this, we'll put an ad break at the end. So you can just keep skipping through until you hear the music. We'll try to put the timestamp in the description, but it always gets a little bit off with the ad. So again, spoiler alert, take this moment to fast forward if you haven't watched the first two episodes. Okay, let's get into it. Are you ready? I'm so ready. So we're kind of going to cover everything. We'll go from the premiere to the actual episode to some of the responses to the episode. Of course, the whole Peloton ad, which was just the most genius marketing. So from top to bottom, but I think a good way to start was that I'm sure you guys saw in our stories, but we felt really lucky to be invited to the actual premiere. And I say that to say, I almost feel as though our experience was a little bit different than it would have been if we were watching it you know, on our computers 
the next day because there was something about the energy of the room that I almost feel like impacted the way that I viewed the episodes. Did you feel that way as well? Yeah, definitely. Well, it was a combination of the energy in the room made the episodes feel a little bit differently. For example, like people were so excited about it and so excited about different parts in the show. Like when they showed Carrie's closet and like the whole audience erupted in cheer, like it just gave it a different experience in terms of like maybe not being able to watch it with how I would have viewed it had I watched it on my own. But also like it did something where like you were in public. So when it hit that last scene where Big dies, you don't like really get to react in the way that you probably would have if you were alone too. So it was kind of a double-edged sword there. Oh, absolutely. And also every time Willie Garson came on the screen and everyone's cheering and, you know, to be honest with you, I have to say it was a very cool experience where you're watching this and four or five rows behind us is Sarah Jessica Parker and you can hear her laughing. You can hear her cheering for Willie Garson. Like that, it was a crazy thing. If you would have told me five years ago that I would have been in that position, I wouldn't have believed you. So it was kind of um, a holy shit moment for me internally. Yeah. Oh my God, completely. So obviously there were a million different reactions to these episodes. Probably the two most prominent were, of course, the response to Big Dying. And then second, the portrayal of Samantha, which it's really hard because obviously in reality, we know that Kim Cattrall and SJP had a falling out. So there's that. And then there's also her portrayal in these episodes. And it's really hard to kind of view one without thinking of the other. So there's that. But I think let's start out with Big's death because that really hit hard. That was one of the crazier TV deaths I've ever seen. And like I said, it was hard to have a full emotional response when you're watching it with other people. But I think that when you look at the response from everybody across the board talking about that scene, it hit exactly as it was intended to. Absolutely. And I mean, even the people, and I would say the majority of the people that are upset with his death, of course, because we wanted to watch that play out more, even if they understand the reasoning, it was very emotional. I mean, it was surprisingly emotional. You had people in the theater, even when we were watching, and it wasn't that people were bawling because again, you're in public, but there were definitely tears. I mean, you heard people crying. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny because I think that it was completely unexpected, even though there were little whisperings about it. But, you know, one of the things with Sex and the City and the reboot here is that it was filmed in the city. So there was so much footage of them walking around in different scenes. And one of the things they had actually said at the premiere was they had filmed fake scenes to kind of throw people off. And one of the big scenes that people had seen was a funeral scene. So it was kind of the discussion of, is this Samantha's death? People floated around the idea of big dying. So what was funny was even though that had been floated around as a theory, when it happened, it was still like completely 100% shocking. Well, because I think that what most people kind of concluded, or maybe I'm just projecting, was that, you know, the there was no way that the funeral was going to be for Big because that was, quote, too obvious. Like, I think that everybody thought that they were doing that as a way to throw off the audience. Meanwhile, it was almost the thing that was in front of our own very eyes. Right. I mean, in my mind, I think the thing that would have been too obvious would have been a Samantha funeral scene, which, again, probably would have made more sense, but definitely would have been the obvious choice. Yeah. One quick side note, just because I need to share this moment with you guys. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that my dad's had two massive heart attacks. The most recent one was in 2018 and it happened literally in front of me. I called 911. Like he flatlined on the table. He luckily is okay as five stents. It was just like the most traumatic day of my entire life. And I have diagnosed severe PTSD from that. And so I would never normally put myself in a situation where I was watching somebody have a heart attack, but of course I had no idea that was going to happen. So 
Big starts to have this heart attack and Julie turns to me and she's like, are you okay? And I, I didn't know what to do because I couldn't fully react, but I started sweating. It was like, I spent 20 minutes with my therapist talking about this and thank God that she had watched the episode because she was willing to unpack it. And Julie texts me after, she's like, the funniest thing ever is that you have to make sure you're not spoiling sex in the city for your therapist that you can discuss the PTSD from the heart attack. That's such an overheard LA. Like, hi, do you know what happens in the sex in the city? Because I really need to talk about it. Like, that is a hilarious concept. Oh my God. I wish you could have seen your face when that was happening. Julie just grabs me. She's like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I was really like nervous that I was going to have to take you out. Like I thought I was like, you know what? You're like, it's fine. It's fine. I'm like, it's not fine. Yeah, that was, that was a lot. But I want to talk about one of the main things about that, which is Carrie not calling 911 and kind of the collective frustration that ensued after the episode premiered. Because in the moment, that's what we were all thinking. And then 24 hours later, when it actually came out, to watch just the entirety of social media be furious at her was really something. It was one of those moments where everyone was in collective agreement, where it's like, the show was written. It wasn't in real time. Like, of course, Carrie calling 911 wasn't a factor because that's just not how they wrote the show. But I think sometimes when you're watching a moment in TV that you're incredibly frustrated by, you lose all sense of like, what is reality? Oh, I mean, for me, I was about to fucking lose it because when my dad went down, his eyes rolled back before I even went over to him. I was on the phone with 911. I was getting the aspirin out. Like at the very least, fucking put an aspirin under his tongue. I was, if I was watching that alone and we weren't in a theater with Sarah Jessica Parker a few rows behind me, I would have been screaming. I felt that internally. Like I was so confused when I was watching and I was happy to see everybody else have that same reaction of like, what is going on here? And then comparing it, which was like so funny to like, Jack and Rose on the Titanic and how there would have been room for him. Like, you know, all of the comparisons that come with that. And I was like, yes, that's exactly how I felt. Like that internal frustration that you literally can't do anything about, but everybody collectively felt. Yes. And the creator, Michael Patrick King, did an interview with Entertainment Tonight with Lauren Zima. And he was asked about this exact moment. And I want to read what he said. Quote, first of all, his phone was in the shower and was soaked. She didn't pick up that phone because what we did in filming that isn't a real moment. That's a split second before she ran over to him. We made it be what they felt. Time stopped. That's not real time. Time stopped. It wasn't a casual moment. It was what they were feeling in that moment. I had someone say to me, she knew this day was coming. She just didn't know this day was it. Look at what Chris is doing. He's communicating with her. If it had happened to me, I wouldn't know if the first thing to do was to get him up. All she keeps saying is, help me, help me, help me. Get up, John, help me. She's still trying to make him be alive. I love the debate. Are you someone who would stand there or run for the phone? It's another choice people make. Are you Carrie Aiden or Carrie Big? All the Carrie Aiden people are running for the phone and Carrie Big people locked in the moment, which was interesting context just to have from him. And of course, logically, I understand what he's saying, that it was meant to be this kind of stretched moment in time. But to me, it doesn't take away from the very logistical frustration that one felt watching it. Right. And I I feel like I understood that when I was watching it, just in terms of like, okay, this is obviously a slowed down moment. Like you can tell that that's what's happening. It's obviously not a full minute of him being awake and her not doing anything. But I also felt like when I was watching it, I was taking such a logistical approach where I was like, okay, so now he's passed out. Like, you don't know that you can't bring him back. Like, you don't know that calling 911 right in this moment wouldn't make a difference. So it was like, you're watching and you have all of these logistical frustrations for a part of a show that like, isn't supposed to reflect that. It's just supposed to be what it was. Yeah. And I mean, as we'll talk about later when we get into Sammy's post, there's something about watching this where... 
I think for me, at least the best approach that I can possibly have is like just taking it as it is. Because once you start to analyze it too much, it almost like takes away the joy from it. So I aim to do that more. Like I almost wish I could have done that more, but I was just so taken aback that I couldn't. I will say that in terms of this specific scene and honestly, like the entire two episodes that we got to watch, there was so much camaraderie in discussing these things that I do understand what Michael was saying about this one split moment of it being a debate. Like, what do you do in that moment? Because I think that the internet reaction and the debates that were sparked and the conversations that were had and the jokes that were made all from, you know, that specific one moment and the whole show and the whole reboot was such an amazing addition to this. Like, I think that this was probably the most talked about thing of the weekend by far. And so for everybody to be talking about this and the camaraderie that comes along with it was such an added bonus to the show coming back. Yes. I mean, you have Jonah Hill posting, why didn't Carrie call 911 immediately? You of course have the entire Peloton thing, which involves Ryan Reynolds and then gets into, you know, this whole leg of marketing that we're going to get into. So yes, if one of the intentions was to spark conversation and absolutely accomplish that goal. Well, that's the thing also. Sex in the City is one of those shows where it's not like people just watched it and loved it. It's like there are people who have dedicated their lives to being historians of the show. So obviously when you reboot it in this way and you change the characters a little and you make them more current and you have a big death scene, like every single person is going to have so much to say because this is a show that we've spent years and years analyzing. And there are people who consider themselves like, sex in the city historians so every single ounce of the show was obviously going to spark some sort of a debate and then you throw in a scene that's as big as this literally and obviously it's going to take on a whole life of its own yes and also something that was so highly anticipated you know because it wasn't a definite that when sex in the city ended that they were going to do this it was only recently that this came to be so i think just the amount of pressure it had on it of course was going to even heighten the discussions more That's how I feel about the show is that it almost is more about the journey that we went on with the show becoming a thing in terms of watching them film around the city. You know, the discussions and the debates about what was going to happen, the camaraderie of when it did come out, like it it almost was more enjoyable to watch if you remove the lens of analyzing it and just focus on the fact that it's back and enjoying it and you get to see where these characters are and you get to enjoy like the discussions that you have with your friends and on the internet. Like obviously people had so much to say and there was a lot of negative things floating around. I think that if you take a step back and you're like, you just take it for what it is and you take the show at face value, it's a much more enjoyable experience for me at least. Yeah. That's why I want to get into Sammy's post, but first let's talk Peloton because Obviously, you know, you see this and your first reaction is how in the world did Peloton agree to this? Because any type of that notable of a brand integration requires consent from the brand typically. And the day after the premiere, shares of Peloton fell more than 11%. And so people's first reaction was how did they agree to this? So this woman, Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum, who's a member of Peloton's Health and Wellness Advisory Council and a preventative cardiologist told the LA Times, quote, Sex and the City fans, like me, are saddened by the news that Mr. Big dies of a heart attack. Mr. Big lived what many would call an extravagant lifestyle, including cocktails, cigars, and big steaks, and was at serious risk as he had a previous cardiac event in season six. These lifestyle choices and perhaps even his family history, which often is a significant factor, were likely the cause of his death. Riding his Peloton bike may have even helped delay his cardiac event. So we later find out that Peloton knew they were going to be included, but they weren't aware in what capacity. 
due to confidentiality reasons. So, you know, I think everybody's first reaction in the few days following is, oh my God, they've got to do something big. They've either got to do an ad with Chris, they've got to do an ad with Kim Cattrall, they got to do something. And so for then on Sunday, this phenomenal Peloton ad to come out with Chris and with Jess King, who was the Peloton instructor in the show with a voiceover by Ryan Reynolds created by Maximum Effort Marketing Company, which is Ryan Reynolds's marketing company. It was the best response potentially ever. And I think the real question is, was this the plan all along? You know, were they going to go out and claim that they didn't really know just because they knew this was going to happen? Or was this something that really did happen relatively overnight? I don't have the answer to that, but that's something that I am so curious about. Yeah, I don't have the answer to that either, obviously, but I am beyond curious how this came to be. I would love the behind the scenes of the logistics of this. I have to say, this was one of the smartest things I've ever seen in terms of marketing. And I think it just goes to show like, when you play into your brand so well and in such a current way that maybe only Ryan Reynolds can do, everyone appreciates it. Like when you give your brand a voice and the voice is so current and so topical and plays into it so perfectly, it's the best thing you can do for your brand. And it's so enjoyable as the viewer to watch that. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you have SoulCycle commenting on it saying, well played, which is when you know, but I feel like for you and I specifically, we talk about this constantly when it comes to brands and the way that they utilize celebrities, because we've just studied it so much that I think we feel like we have a good grasp on it. And so many times you're just frustrated by how much they miss the mark and how easily there could have been a phenomenal collaboration, but it just, they were trying too hard or just didn't really land. And this was an example where it's like, yes, good for you. You capitalize on the moment. You did something that people were going to celebrate and that it, it almost, you know, really kind of took the momentum that people were having to the moment of him dying, whether that was anger or sadness or shock or frustration, and then channeling it into a brilliant marketing move. And it's like, you can't help but celebrate that. Absolutely. Yes. And the second most prominent source of conversation with these episodes were Samantha's portrayal. And I'm sure you guys saw a lot of kind of clickbait articles saying Kim Cattrall responds to her portrayal and, and just like that. I hate those articles because really what it was is her just liking a few tweets. We have some of those out. They said, uh, Kim Cattrall, I'm such a fan with the Sex and the City reboot happening. They keep bringing you up. I applaud you for making choices that are right for you. You're not required to do anything you don't want to do or that won't make you happy. There was another one that said, and just like that, I want to rewatch the 2014 HBO Canada prestige Toronto set dramedy, Sensitive Skin starring Kim Cattrall. Basically just messages of support, but it wasn't as though it was a formal response where all of these articles were making people think that. I do wonder if she'll give any sort of a formal response. I don't think she will. I know this is probably like completely wishful thinking. I mean, it definitely is. But there was a part of me for a moment where I was like, maybe she'll make a one second cameo. And then I was like, there's no way. No, I don't think so. I think that I think that the case here is that it's not just an issue with SJP. It's an issue with the whole show and wanting to leave that in the past. And therefore, had it been one incident with one character they could have arranged where she comes back and her and SJP don't have any interaction and she can just be on the show for a minute. It's so not the case here. And I don't think she's willing to do anything or be a part of this project in any capacity. So therefore, I think it is very wishful thinking to assume that she would have her face shown or make any sort of actual appearance. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the takes that I agreed with the most, I 
didn't necessarily think this was the best way to explain her absence. Like it just, and this is not new. I mean, everybody's saying the same thing, but it just did not seem on brand with the way that Samantha would have handled this, especially over something as insignificant as the money she was getting from being Carrie's publicist. I so agree. That was one of the parts that I had an issue with as well. But again, in terms of the internet camaraderie and the debates, something that's really interesting is watching people go back to the old episodes and saying like, proof Samantha would have handled this this way. Proof Samantha uses avoidance as her form of, you know, confrontation. Proof that Samantha never would have done this. Proof Samantha doesn't care about money. Like, so to watch people go back to the original episodes and try and find fuel for whatever argument or what side they want or to kind of back up that response is something that's a really fun thing to watch people do. No, exactly. And that's what I think is really cool about this show because even though in general it's a kind of fun, lighthearted watch, I'm talking about Sex and the City in general, not these recent two episodes, there's something about the process that's almost forensic in people's effort to prove whether Samantha would or would not have done this. They're going back, they're finding this season, this episode, this scene, and they are pulling up exact proof. And there's something about that process that you have to appreciate the analytical nature of it. Well, like I said, that's the whole part of the show that makes a reboot like this so difficult is it's not like you're just bringing back, you know, these beloved characters in a show that everybody loved. You are doing that. But at the same time, you're bringing back characters where people have spent their lives analyzing every single aspect of what these characters do, say, wear, watch, act. And so to bring back a show like this, it's difficult to appease everybody and to appease the way that people have these characters so built in their mind. Because one of the things about Sex and the City is like, to most people who love the show, they're not just characters. They're real people and real friends in their lives and people that they've been on a journey with. So people will always have a lot to say about where they are now. And I think that honestly, that's the beauty of the show. Well, it's funny because let's say that this reboot never happened. Recently with, I mean, just in general with the times changing, but also I think with the rise in TikTok, there's been so much discussion about their individual characters since then and kind of this rethinking of who Carrie really is and why Miranda actually was potentially the greatest that nobody gave her credit for at the time. And in just so much conversation that had been taking place for a while now, I would say in the last few years, it's really been so kind of prevalent. And so when this coming out, there would have been discussion regardless, but having the last few years where people were dissecting it anyway, it only intensified that. Right. And that's something for me where I'm like, you know, I don't have to love every single character and where they've gone since the ending of Sex and the City, but to be able to see them on my screen again is a gift. Yeah, I mean, we read a lot of different takes and there were so many reviews. And like we said, a lot of people really disliked it. And a lot of the you know negative feedback I understood, but the take that resonated with both of us the most individually, because we sent it to each other and we we're like, this is it, was from Sammy Fishbein. She's a co-founder of Betches. We also just happened to find her to be a really intelligent woman who shares some very insightful information. We'll put the link to her post in the description, but just going to read two separate parts of it. I'm not reading it all. That really hit. And she said, so it appears that lots of people really hated it. Is it weird that I didn't? I actually kind of loved it. When I say I loved it, I don't mean that it was a perfect or even a good show or anywhere close. For some reason, it stands in my mind in contrast to Bridgerton, which is a good show that I actually find to be bad, while in Just Like That is a bad show, which is what makes it good. 
I thought the writing was clownish, but when I just sat back and accepted what they were serving, it was perfect. I'm not consuming this as high art or award-winning writing. Is it even trying to be those things? It's much more fun to consume it as what it is rather than comparing it to standards it was probably, hopefully, never even trying to meet. Here's my problem. I flow between trying to reconcile the show with reality, wanting the characters to be better, and actually knowing that my enjoyment lies in the fact that they're not. But at the end of the day, I'd much rather watch a companion series that's willing to challenge the show in a way that might actually help it evolve, or else we might as well just watch Sex in the City too. And to me, I read that and I was like, thank you for putting my thoughts into words because just the taking a step back and enjoying it almost at face value was where I derived the most enjoyment. Totally. Me too. So I don't know. We could talk about this forever. It was really fun. Also guys in person, Chris is so deeply attractive. Beyond so. Julian are, well, okay. So you may know this, but they had the after party at the former Barney space on Madison Avenue. And so after the premiere, they bust everyone there. And it was just like a great vibe. HBO did such a good job. And we're like, I feel like this happened to us literally eight times throughout the night. We just look up and he was standing like right next to us. We didn't never went over to him. He seemed like he was having a great time, but we just turned to each other like, wow, that is a man that is equally as good looking and exudes as much sex appeal in person as he does on camera. You know, it's funny that we never even spoke about. There was one part where we were standing right near him. And we, again, weren't going to go over to him. We were just standing there. And we looked at each other and we were both reapplying lip gloss and we just lost it. (laughs) It was like, it was an immediate reaction. It was so funny. Yeah. Anyway, so we we talked about that for a long time. That I, all I've been wanting to do is just discuss that. Well, it was also the biggest story of the weekend. Like there were, everyone had so much to say. We had so much to say and it felt good to be able to talk about it. Yeah, it really did. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle. Like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Let's talk about baby making for a second because it's really not as simple as it's made out to be, meaning there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant. And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources, which is why I want to introduce you to Frida Fertility. Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby, 
with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. They're kind of revolutionizing the conception aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern, effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find Frida Fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you. Okay, so let's get into the Kanye Drake Kim thing, yes? Yes. So as I'm sure you all know, Kanye and Drake had a concert at the Coliseum in LA and it was a benefit concert to free Larry Hoover. So Kim was there with North Saint, Mason, Kendall, Devin Booker, Chris, and Corey. And Kanye was performing Runaway. And at the end of the song, he changed the lyrics to, I need you to run right back to me, more specific Kimberly. And if you have seen videos, like the entire crowd erupts. At the time that I first watched it, I don't know about you, I didn't know, like my first time ever, I didn't know that Kim was in the audience for that. I didn't know, but I figured. I I honestly wasn't sure. Like once I realized she was, it almost intensified the moment, but I, either way, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter, but it was definitely a choice given the fact that she was there. You know what? It was a choice given the fact that she was there. It was a bigger choice given the fact that North was there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So after, this is according to what an insider apparently told E, quote, it seemed to mean a lot to him that they were there, especially that Kim was there. The only thing that mattered to Kanye was that Kim and her people were taken care of. It was very important to him that Kim was all good and he made it clear that she was a priority. He'd been talking about how he just wants his family back. So this was on December 9th. The morning of December 10th, the news breaks that Kim has filed to be, quote, legally single. And according to TMZ, the document said that Kim wants to become legally single while her and Kanye to continue to kind of figure out all of the details with child custody and the property division, et cetera. But also that Kim is asking that her maiden name be restored to just Kim Kardashian. So that would have been a story regardless, but the fact that that came literally 12 hours after he's kind of pleading for her to come back to him was just a lot. No, it definitely was a lot. And I was shocked actually to see that she wanted her maiden name restored because I believe that one of the things that she had said was that she wanted to keep West as her name so that her last name matched her kid's name. So the removal of it must be a reaction to him. It must be reactionary. Yeah. I don't know what to think. I have so many different thoughts in my mind because I have a hard time viewing this without thinking like, she just must be so fed up with this. Like the one thing that she has always done is respect his wishes publicly, no matter what is going on behind the scenes. She is so cooperative with him and he just seems to be so uncooperative with her when it comes to like the one thing she asked, which is for him to not kind of discuss it in this way. And I think something that happens a lot of the time is that Kanye conflates his art with his like romantic wishes. And he almost puts it under the guise of this is just my art. And I feel like at a certain point, that's just unfair. Well, one of the best takes I had seen was that tweet about Kim publicly saying how she had all of the big things with Kanye and none of the little things. And that's what she was seeking. Yeah, let me read the tweet verbatim. It was from Whitney Marie on Twitter, Whitney M-A-R-I underscore. 
Kim K specifically said on television that she had all the big grand things with Kanye, but none of the little things. He's throwing concerts, trying to take over the metaverse to win her back. And sis just wants a hug, a jogging buddy and an amusement park date. Men are so annoying, which to me was just such a perfect summary of everything that's been going on here. And by the way, like not to enter Pete too much into the conversation, because I think that any issues she has with Kanye really are separate. But if we want to go based on that logic, that's probably one of the reasons that the thing with Pete is exciting for her because she can just enjoy the simplicity of it. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like when you put it in the context of that, Pete has actually never made more sense. Yeah, never made more sense. I mean, I know in the beginning we were shocked, me probably more than you, like in terms of not being able to fully understand it. But the more time has gone on, I still stand firm in my belief that like this is not the end all be all, obviously, but I really get why this is an appealing little fling for her. I really get it. The, the stuff with Kanye is so intense. Right. And I think when you look at it as this is just a post-divorce fling and this is the maximum amount of fun that she could have, zero drama, just the little things, it makes so much sense, especially in contrast to Kanye. I mean, this is somebody who, by the way, is capable of giving her bigger things in terms of the lifestyle that he leads. This isn't just like a normal guy that she picked up at a park and was like, let's date. Like this is still Pete Davidson. He still lives a pretty extravagant lifestyle. It's just compared to Kanye, the comedy and the living in Staten Island and the little things that he's able to provide Kim with and the fun that he's able to provide Kim with, it's non-comparable. Yeah. And I know like a counter argument to this, and I think we've mentioned this before, is like people saying, you know, part of Pete's personality, something he's spoken about publicly is that he can get really intense really fast when it comes to love. And I'm not doubting that, but I also think this situation with Kim is different than other situations he's had with other women that maybe he could have seen himself marrying. I think the reason that I personally believe he's capable of, you know, being less intense so early on is because I think he also recognizes this as an end game. You know, it's just like a fun thing. Right. Exactly. You know, if I was Kim, I think the thing that I would be most upset about with Kanye doing these grand gestures, especially in public, like I said before, with North being there, because you create a very, very unfair dynamic where one parent is trying to get the other one back. And it then creates the illusion that it's one person's fault. And it's hard to explain that to a child, especially a six-year-old. I know. I I really wonder, I mean, not just with Kim and Connie in general, I always wonder how those conversations go because I know it's something that obviously has to be handled sensitively and like every family dynamic is so different. But I do wonder what that looks like. I, I don't know. I, no matter what way you slice it, I just think that if they've had the conversation and she has explained to him, this is not something that she desires the, for him to keep doing this, I don't know how that can't be seen as really wrong. Do you think that, like, right? No, I mean, I think so, and I'm with you. And I guess in his mind, if he really wants her back and the only way he knows to do it is by those big, grand gestures, I can understand his thought process in that. I just don't agree with it. I don't think it's right, and I don't think it's fair to Kim, but if you're just looking at it from what he wants, which is how Kanye views most things, I can understand how he would think these giant grand gestures and these public declarations are actually romantic rather than selfish. Again, I don't agree with that line of logic, but I can understand obviously with specifically Kanye, how he got to that point. Yeah, no, it's a very narcissistic tactic in my opinion. And also it just, it, it completely like to me 
removes the process of how they got here in the first place. You know, it's as if he was just served with these divorce papers and he has no idea why. And it's like, she didn't want this. It's not like she was so excited about a divorce. It was, she tried for years and for years. This was like kind of her, her final straw. And so to me, it's, to use the word gaslighting is wrong. I don't think that that's correct, but it almost has a flair of gaslighting nature to me. Cause it's like, how do you think she got here in the first place? Right. It's like, you have to almost deny the whole past in order to make this make sense in your own mind. Completely. Okay. So I want to talk cookware for a second because I haven't told you guys about this company and I recently tried their products and I fully understand the hype now. So they're called Great Jones and they make really high quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that also happens to be beautiful. Like I know it's kind of a weird way to describe cookware, but you'll see what I mean when you go on the website. In terms of colors, they have your classic black and white, but they also have pink screens, yellows, blues, just like really vibrant, fun colors. And everything is non-toxic. So they have, you know, Dutch oven, ceramic dishes, non-stick sheet pans. Everything is non-toxic to me. That's huge. And we all know, like, I'm not the biggest cook, but I have my staples. And I got originally from them the Fry family, which is the eight and 10 inch ceramic nonstick pans. And they're just great. I got them in the white because that matches the best with my kitchen. I love cooking on them. And I also, I know, again, it sounds kind of weird, but I love the way they look in my kitchen. And the thing is, once you get these, you're going to want to get them for your friends. So they make incredible gifts for weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays, whatever occasion you need. It's a great gift. Upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code CBC. That's greatjones.com, promo code CBC. I have to tell you that Miley and Pete on Fallon promoting their New Year's Eve special was one of the more enjoyable late-night interview things I've seen recently. What an amazing duo. It makes so much sense. And, you know, when Miley was asked kind of like, why did you choose Pete? Basically, because I guess this is more of her thing and she kind of brought him on. She said, you know, I know what I bring to the table and I know that's really my musical ability. And so I wanted someone who's the best of the best in theirs, which is comedy. And she's like, there's no one better than Pete Davidson. And I just loved hearing how she kind of got to that process. And also the common theme throughout was like, the genuine mutual admiration they felt for one another. I don't know if I missed this. I didn't realize they were such good friends. I didn't really either. Like, no idea they had a matching tattoo together that Pete actually got removed. I know. And also something I appreciated about this, I know there was a lot of like discourse after saying, oh, Miley and Pete make so much sense as a couple. But to me, I loved the fact that here was Pete next to this other powerhouse female entertainer who was obviously so beautiful and so desirable, but like they are just friends and it is completely platonic. And I feel like it's been a while since that's been the case in terms of who he's been linked with. So to see him be with Miley and like they are so clearly just friends was really fun. It did feel really brother sister to me. I know. I mean, honestly, knowing the way this shit goes, give it two months and there'll be reports of them. But like, I genuinely did not get that vibe at all. I got a friendship vibe. If they started hooking up, I would be thrilled. Thrilled and not surprised, but I did not get that in the slightest. I thought Miley looked incredible. She always looks so great, but this is one of those times where, and everybody was talking about her hair specifically and how good it looked, but I thought she looked just unreal. Recently though, she's been killing it. Like I feel like she's gotten to this point where she's so 
comfortable with herself and is so clear in what she wants and what she's willing to accept, not willing to accept. And just that self-assurance is contagious. You know what I think it is? I think that pivot into being like a rock star that she always wanted to be is has allowed her to find comfort in herself that she didn't have before. Because I think for her, her whole life has been trying to get to a place in her career that she feels comfortable with and pivot from that label of child star and then pivot from that label of like, quote, messed up child star, which obviously we know is never really the case. And I think that this is one of the first times in her career where you can look at her and be like, wow, you feel really comfortable in what you're doing. And that's so rewarding to see. Yeah. And, you know, specifically with someone like Miley, we've watched this trajectory for so many years. And so it just hits harder when it's somebody that you feel like you've watched them really grow up. No, absolutely. I mean, also in terms of just singing rock, we can't ignore the best part of the show, which was her singing, it should have been me to Pete. When she says it should have been me in that Lamborghini leaving that nice ass restaurant. I'm like, oh my God, did we just get a Giorgio Baldi shout out on Fallon? Pete was losing it. Like, that was also because what keeps happening on all of these shows, whether it's Seth Meyers or Miley, there are these nods and an acknowledgement of what's going on with Kim without actually discussing it. And so I don't know what that must be for him, but for me, I'm like going to explode. I'm like, I need to just hear you say the name Kim Kardashian. I know. I will get it. I know we will. And I think it will come on SNL rather than a late night interview, but we will get it. No, I think we will too. But it was just fun. And, you know, I know there were reports that after she went back to his apartment in Staten Island, and I'm sure she did. And I'm sure that it was just a friendly thing to talk about New Year's Eve. I just, I don't know. I did not get the sense that they were hooking up. I really didn't. Do you think that Kim is going to be at the New Year's Eve special? It would surprise me. But not Uh, the farthest off thing. It would surprise me. The reason that it wouldn't surprise me would be like, let's say they decided to do a whole Miami thing with Dave Grutman and that was all part of it. And like the whole crew went, that would surprise me less. But in general, I don't necessarily foresee that happening. I'm not ruling it out. I just, it's not what I would envision, but I welcome being wrong. I could so see it being a stop on the Dave Grutman Miami tour of New Year's Eve. I could so see it, especially because this isn't just the two of them. This is supposed to be like a quote star studded event. Well, that's what I'm saying. If they decide to do Miami and they're having the, like the weekend with Dave Grumman, 100%, I think she'll be there. I don't see a world in which she's in Miami and she doesn't go. I'm just saying the question is if she's going to be in Miami. Right. Yeah. Also, wait, one other thing. I know we're kind of going out of order. So you guys know, obviously, North and Kim have a joint TikTok account and Courtney and Penelope have a joint TikTok account. So North recently, I guess it was last night, went live and you see it's her and it's Tracy's daughter, Ryan. And I think Rain was there. I don't even know exactly who was there, but you see her like knowing she shouldn't be going live, but going live anyway, showing the audience how the house is set up for the sing screening. And she goes into Kim's bedroom and Kim like yells at her for being on live. And it was just the most normal moment ever. I am telling you, and I mean this with every bone in my body. North has given us more in this past two weeks on TikTok than 20 seasons of Keeping Up with the Kardashians gave us. I'm not kidding. You're saying in terms of Kim's house? Content, everything, in terms of like just the normalcy and the lack of normalcy of their lives. It's just like 
because there's nothing to North where she understands, like, show this, don't show this. They're not interested in this. Like, she just shows what she would want to see as a six, seven-year-old girl walking around her house or showing her friends. And, like, that's the shit we die for. That's the shit that we're like, just give us the basics. That's what we want to see. We want to see the layout of your house. We want to see the behind the scenes of the Sing 2 event. Like, we don't need to see the curated stuff. We want to see all of that stuff that a seven-year-old wouldn't think is anything special. And that's why it's like when she goes live or she was live at Kanye's event or when she posts these random TikToks of the Christmas decorations before Kim even gets a chance to see it on her story. It's like, yes, give us all of the lack of curation. Yeah. You know, it was funny because she showed the video where I don't think this was on live. I think it was just like a video where she was showing her lizard tank or her lizard cage. What is it? A tank or a cage? Tank tank. Okay. Her lizard tank. You can keep that in. And she's saying how she's like, my mom hates these because we have to feed them worms. And I'm just thinking like, obviously we don't know Kim personally, but you feel like you have a pretty good sense. I feel like her worst nightmare would be her child coming home and being like, you know what I really want? I want a tank of lizards in my room. Like to me, that is Kim Kardashian's worst nightmare. She's somebody that didn't even want to get a dog. So (laughs) I feel like North has so much Kanye in her and has this ability to like really bring out a side of Kim that probably has not been brought out that much. I just know Kim regrets letting that girl on TikTok so much. I know that she is about to drive Kim more crazy than she ever has before. And by the way, that's North's whole thing. Like all of these background conversations where Kim is showing off something in her Instagram story and North's there being like, you should pay more attention to your kids than your friends. Like when she was doing that thing during COVID or when you know, Kim is showing her flowers from her birthday. And she's like, I literally died. And North's like, no, you didn't die. You'd be in the ground. Like this North has taken on this little persona of being the background noise to Kim. And so for North to be able to come on TikTok on her own and really bring that to the forefront is like, it's, it's all you ever could have asked for. I know. I know. It's so great. It is so much fun. And I'm just so happy the content exists. Same. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. 
Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. A few last things that we wanted to mention. The first was, I'm sure you guys saw that Megan the Stallion graduated from Texas Southern University with a Bachelor of Science. And we've spoken about this before, but her mother passed away in March, 2019. Her grandmother passed away that same month. And her father had passed away about 10 years ago in 2011 when she was 15. And she's spoken a lot about how as she's gotten more successful and she's had this rise to fame, like it's bittersweet because she wants nothing more than to be able to share it with her parents and her grandmother. And there was just a picture that Complex posted of her cake that was a photo of her and her mom. And it said on it, mom, I made it. And I just wanted to acknowledge that because I can imagine what that must have been for her in the moment. And I think that we were both just really excited and happy for her yet also really can understand the void she must've felt. Yeah. It's really incredible to watch Meg do that. I mean, you're watching somebody who is just on top of the world right now. I think someone tweeted recently, um, I don't even remember life before Megan the Stallion, and that's genuinely how I feel. So to watch her accomplish so many things just in terms of her music and then also graduating college and living out her dreams, it's it's the most rewarding thing that you could say. Yeah. That tweet is from at J-A-G-U-E-N-Y. We're going to post it on our story later, <laughs> but it's so funny because like TikTok, or at least I would say the majority of TikTok trends slash sounds would not exist if it wasn't for some form of Megan content, whether it's her songs, her dancing, you know, something that she said is just the way that she's integrated herself into the app so organically is like unbelievable to witness. The early days of the app, I mean, I guess not early, early, because we kind of joined after it had gotten its head start, but really like from the time that we joined and I would say November, 2020, I think it was like or maybe 2019 even. Wow, it's been a long time. It That's all Meg. And it's insane to see. I mean, every single sound on that app for a while was Meg. It was 2019 because I will never forget you and I in studio and you were explaining Charlie. It was like when I had first gotten on and you were explaining the hype of Charlie D'Amelio and how her fame was skyrocketing. And that was when we were in the studio. So it was definitely 2019. Wow. Crazy. Last thing I just wanted to mention, I know you haven't been watching Paris and Love as religiously as I have, Julie, but I need to know if other people have been watching in the way that Isabel and I have, which is just like hanging on to every word. So the most recent episode, they basically go to her husband Carter's hometown. This is like a few months before the wedding. And Paris, in addition to attending one of his family members' wedding, is also DJing it. And there's a scene where... Carter is like hyping up the crowd, get every, getting everyone excited for the fact that Paris is DJing. Obviously, they never expected that she'd be DJing this like small wedding in Michigan. And while he's hyping up the crowd, she's trying to say to him, we didn't do the sound check yet. Like, I don't even know if it's going to work. And she obviously takes her DJing really seriously. She's made a whole business out of this. And 
it's the first time they get into a fight, not just on camera, but she says it's one of the first times they've ever fought. And they really like go at it for a minute. And it was so interesting watching this. And I just am so curious what other people thought. Please DM me your thoughts. But to me, I just want to say for those of you that watched it, I was so on Paris's side in this because he felt like she was being ridiculous. Like there's this little family wedding. Why do you care so much about a sound check? It doesn't matter. And she's like, this is my job. Like I, I really have developed a talent for this. And if I'm doing it, I don't care if I'm doing Lollapalooza or if I'm doing a f- small family wedding, I want to make sure it's good. And she felt almost a sense of embarrassment. And I think that what was happening was like, he didn't understand how quote Paris Hilton could feel insecure about something like this. And she was having this moment to me, which was very real of like, if I do my shit, I want to make sure it's good and stop embarrassing me. And it was so interesting. Like, I need you to watch it so we can talk about it, Julie. I will. I promise I'll watch half for that, half because any amount of Kathy Hilton content is just too good for me. Her giving a white claw is, that's what reality TV is for. I know. I really think, like, I truly believe that, you know, Carter loves her and they have a happy relationship and I'm genuinely so happy for her. I just think this type of show did not paint him in the best light. Whereas like, especially in comparison to the way that Kathy, Nikki and Paris come across, which I think are just so likable, his personality, which was definitely significantly more type A and he almost came across as a little bit infantilizing. I, I, it just, I don't know. I don't think this was the best portrayal of him, although I genuinely am so happy for her. I just need to know if other people are watching it and what their thoughts are. Please DM me your thoughts. I'm very interested in what people think of him. Yeah. This is all Isabel and I have spoken about. (laughs) I know it is. I have to watch. I will. I promise. You will. Okay. Anything else you want to mention? I think that's it. I just want to say, I know we said this a few weeks ago, but one of our longtime listener and followers sent us their products. The brand is called Sea Clear. I'm going to put the link in the description. They, I think they have a lot of things, but what they sent us were like their clear travel cases and then these clear bags. I'm telling you guys, these clear travel cases are the best travel cases I've ever used. This is not sponsored. They literally just sent them to us. I, You saw how much stuff I fit in them, but I was just taking it out before we started. Like I still had a few of my creams. They hold the stuff so well. It's such a thick material. Like I love to support any sort of a follower or listener brand. And I'm telling you, this stuff is incredible quality in terms of like the plastic type cases. So I just wanted to say that one more time. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm obsessed with them too. It was the best thing to take to LA with us. It really was. Um, Okay. I think that's it. Well, we will see you guys later this week for Kardashian bonus show and Bravo episode. I'm about to watch Salt Lake City. I'm so excited. And we love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting us do this. And we'll see you in a few days. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. 
That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.